so I, I went, and all the lifeguards are like, what? where did he go? What happened? Finally, a lifeguard shines the tube down, and they're like, that kid is stuck in the water slide. What are we going to do? They're like, I don't know. What should we do? They're like, I know. We'll send the fat guy down. He'll knock him out. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And so I was completely afraid, not sure what to do. And finally, my little eight-year-old legs gave out. And about 10 minutes later, I went and kind of crashed and broke that water slide, but finally came out of the water, out of the bottom. I tell this story because there are some leaps of faith that feel so big, so intense, so scary. Halfway through, we wish we could do what I said there, which is just make it stop. And sometimes we're in the middle of it, and we don't have that option to make it stop. So what we have to do is turn to God. And we're going to hear a few stories of how that happened this morning. But to frame this and set this up, I want to read a few passages of Scripture. So if you would, open with me to John chapter 20, verse 19. Starting here, it says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of, those, of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Now, Thomas kind of misses this moment. He's there. He's not there. All the other guys are there. But Thomas misses it, and so he comes back eight days later. And verse 26 says this. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound of my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Point one to frame this this morning is Jesus was not slamming doubt. He was valid, Thomas's doubt. He was validating our faith. I think, I think a lot of us read this passage as Jesus kind of smacking down Thomas, kind of going after him a little bit. Maybe, maybe that's in there some, but I would like to point out that all the other disciples were there. All the other disciples got to see the hands and feet of Jesus, got to see the wound in his side. So for them, it was easy to believe Thomas was the one who missed it. And Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And that's a pretty incredible thing because Jesus is actually saying, blessed are those who were not eyewitnesses. And in our culture, being an eyewitness is a very big, valuable thing. It's something that we love. We live in a world where we want to experience everything firsthand. We want to say, I was there. I was at the UT Notre Dame game. I was at the UT game where Vince Young ran that touchdown. I was at that Rose Bowl. I was at the very first ACL. I was here in Austin before it had traffic. I was there. <laughs> and so we say, I was there, I was there. But the upside down nature of the gospel says, we are blessed even though we weren't there. We are blessed because we believe, even without being there firsthand. We are blessed because Jesus understood faith is complex. It takes a leap. It takes courage. It takes strength. Point number two is this. Open your uh, Bible to Luke chapter 7, verse 20. And it says this. Some men kind of came, were asking some questions of John the Baptist, so John sent them to Jesus, and verse 20 says this, and when the, men came, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus said, it's me, I'm the one, you can believe me. No, that's not what Jesus said. Verse 21, he said this, in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them, 
Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the good news preached to them. When something amazing happens to us, what we're supposed to do is not just say, okay, that happened, that was great. When we see something, when we experience something, we want to share it. Point two is sharing is a natural byproduct of believing. If we truly believe in something, we share about it, we tell that story. And we do this all the time. If we have a favorite TV show, if we have a favorite band, if we try a new restaurant, if we have a school that we really love, we talk about it, we share about it. Facebook has a whole button just predicated on this point of human nature that we're gonna share about something that we really like or that we really don't like, but we're gonna have an opinion about it. We are going to share about these things. We have Yelp reviews. We have all these things, and we share so passionately. We share all the time because we share about something because we want our friends and family to experience it for themselves. So when we really believe in something, we say, you gotta understand this, you gotta see this. That's what's gonna happen with our storytellers today. They're gonna share because they're gonna say, you have to see what God did in my life. How do I know who he is? Because of what he's done in me, because of what I've been through. That's what sharing is. Number three idea from scripture is this. It's found in uh, Philippians 4, verse 11. And it says this, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Many times we believe our circumstances, we believe the things that are right in front of us, and we doubt God, but what makes these stories so incredible today is because these people are looking past their circumstances to trust God. The circumstances are the things right here, the things right in our face that we can't quite look past. But if we could, if we could look up over them and see what's going on, we would see a much greater creator of the universe, his presence with us in every single situation. So we have three different stories today. And uh, I, this is risky for us, this is risky for the storyteller. This is something where we're saying, okay, we want you to come in and share these stories. We're doing this series on leap, on what it means to take a leap of faith, and we're gonna walk through some real practical steps on that leap of faith. But this is, as we set this up, today is a chance where you can really hear stories of people who have taken those leaps before and what God's done in their life. These are not professionals, these are not actors, these are people who just feel like something happened in my life and I wanna share it with my church. And so be kind, laugh when they laugh, cry when they cry, cheer them on. This is a big deal for them. Even them coming up here and sharing, we talked about it last week, public speaking is one of the biggest fear. Even for them to be up here sharing is a big leap of faith. And so can you welcome our storytellers today? Are you excited, you ready to hear? All right. Well then, I would like to introduce our first One Chapel Storyteller of the Day, uh, Johnny, Johnny Spiegelmeier. Come on out of here, Johnny, welcome him. Good morning, One Chapel Austin. My name is Johnny Spiegelmeier, as Rob introduced, and uh, my wife and I have been here for just shy of two years now here at One Chapel. A little bit of my story is that we were actually part of the church that was the church here before One Chapel, and we were here for eight years before that. So I've been here for a long time, just a different congregation. All right, so my wife and I have been married close to 30 years. We have three children. We have A.J., Shelby, and Mitchell. 
and I have three grandchildren. I have Sterling, I have Simone, and I have our new one, Nyla, and she's a beautiful little girl, and we get to see her next month. She, live in, she lives in Tucson. Uh, the, thanks to Ross, who actually started to tell my story because of Amy, I don't know whether I'm doing something repetitive or not, but we're going to go on because my story originally, as I spoke to Rob, was going to be about a lawnmower, a garden hose, and the cutest little old lady that you've ever met. But as the spirit moved and things unfolded, things changed, as God would often do, and says, Johnny, let's, let's go in a different direction. So Rob agreed, and that's what we're going to do. So my story for you today starts uh, back in 2014. I am working as a, uh, I had just moved from, I had been previously 15, 16 years as a professional landscaper here in the Austin area. And uh, I was worn out, burned out, and tired of being sweaty all the time. All the time. So I was going to hang it up for a little while, and I was going to try some new business ventures. Those things weren't going very well, so I ended up selling cars at a local new car dealership. Well, as you might expect, that didn't go real well for me either. I'm not really very good at it. And uh, so what I decided I was going to do is that I can't do this. So instead of rather leaving, go back to what I know how to do is work really hard. So I asked the manager of the service department, hey, can I go out and just detail cars for you? Because I've seen the way they bring the cars to me as a new car salesman, and they don't look that good. So I know I can do better, and I can make way more money than your guys do. So I was like, he said, well, how about we just kind of put you in charge of all of them? I was like, all right, so this is where I'm at. I'm working out in the detail shop. That's where it brings me into two, February of 2014. I'm working in an office. I've never worked in an office before in my life. I'm always outside. I'm either on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier or working at the top of a high-rise building or inside of an air conditioning unit, but not at a desk, and I'm not really very good at it. But it's February 2014, and this is my job. This is where I'm at. I'm at a car dealership, and suddenly my extremely beautiful and healthy wife, Emily, who has no markers for anything, disease or anything, comes down with something that's just really tearing her up. It turns out as we take her to the emergency room, her appendix had ruptured. We're not talking appendicitis, we're talking full-on rupture, and if anybody has ever experienced anything like that, it's disgusting. It's painful. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Somebody please tell me what the appendix does, right? Because if we can find out what it does, then we might be able to figure out how to prevent it from doing that. Because it was just that sudden. We had no clue, no warning, no nothing. It was just stomach pains. We move on. We don't normally go to doctors when we have pains. We just take, more, we, we take some really cool medicine from, from, uh, for what we have, and we move on and work through it. But we did. We went to the hospital. She had appendicitis. She needed emergency surgery right away. There came a point where they asked us about our insurance, the inevitable point. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, we, we don't have insurance, and we haven't now for almost 15 years. It was a choice that we made. And I said, well, would you be interested in some of the assistance programs? Yes, we would be interested in some of the assistance programs that you might have. So they presented us with the programs that they had. It's like, I'm sorry, these are just not going to work with what my wife and I believe. And at that moment, my wife who's going to be admitted for emergency surgery, 
I had to pass on assistance and say, whatever comes, comes, God, we're in your hands. And so we did. They put her in emergency surgery. We got through it, got her out. She wasn't looking too good. The next couple of days, she wasn't looking too good. It got a little worse. We don't know why. She just continued to steadily get worse. And as you watch the love of your life for almost 30 years deteriorate after appendicitis, there's nothing that they can find that attributes to this. And she's steadily getting worse. After 12 days in the hospital, after 10 days, she does get better. She recovers very quickly. And now we're out of the hospital. Because the story doesn't end there. That's not the story. That sort of takes us down. I won't even say that's to the bottom yet. Because as she's doing her recovery, our bills start coming in. I told you I passed on the assistance, right? Our bills start coming in. 25, 30, 45, 60, 80, 100, 110, 20, 30,000 dollars of hospital bills that come in over 10 days, emergency surgery, a second surgery to correct what they didn't know was wrong in the first place. And here we are with a mountain of bills and a wife who's recovering, a very slow and frustrating recovery. And I'm in this job and I was like, I don't make enough. I don't make enough to cover this. So I go back to my sales manager that says, I got to go. I know that I can go back to landscaping and walk out the door and get money. How many of you have ever had that opportunity when you know you walk out there, you can just go get it? That's what I walked away from. I can go get it. JP's shaking his head because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. I was like, I can go out the door and get money and I can make twice what I do here. And he said, okay. He said, but before you go out the door, would you consider staying if I made you manager over that department and doubled your salary? I was like, I'm listening. <laughs> and so after praying over it and talking with my wife, I actually asked him after he offered that to me, he's like, can I take a day to consider this? And so I got on the phone with my wife, and she's like, you know, Johnny, that just doesn't seem like enough. You can do better. So I went back and said, would you consider doing this for me? And he's like, you know, that's an awful lot of money. There's a few, very few people in this dealership that make that kind of money. I says, I understand that, but I know that I can go out and I can go get money when I need it. So I have my day off, and instead of waiting for me to come back, he calls me the very next day and says, Johnny, we're going to go with your deal. I said, that's awesome. I'll see you Monday morning. So we're moving it. That is, so it was February. This is April 1st, believe it or not, of all days, that this happens. And it wasn't an April Fool. That comes next. So the bills are starting to mount. And we're trying to figure out how to start paying for them. They're overwhelming to us. I have not gone back to landscaping. My new salary has not kicked in yet. So we're talking to the hospitalist about starting to arrange payment plans. How do we start paying this off, realizing that the enormity of it is this will be a debt that is in our life for the rest of our lives. We will be paying on this as long as we live because we don't make enough money to cover it. So Emily's working on that, and while she's working on that process, I'm going to work and doing my thing. Two months later, we're talking Memorial Day weekend. Two the day before Memorial Day weekend, I get called in the office 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Johnny, I'm sorry, it's just not working out. 
dealership isn't making money like it has to. And since you make money off of profits, you got to go. Just like that, two months before I was the greatest thing and they're offering me anything I'm asking for, two months later, I'm gone. This is the nature of what it is to work at an auto dealership, by the way. Uh, so the next morning is Saturday morning. And I wake up. And anybody knows anything about auto car dealerships? Everybody works Saturdays. Everybody who works for the dealership works Saturdays. So I get up on Saturday morning. I'm at home. I'm tooling around the house getting things done, getting to all that stuff I haven't been able to get to because I've been working. And my son gets up, my youngest son Mitchell, some of y'all may know him. My youngest son Mitchell gets up and after a little while he realizes and asks me, Dad, why are you at home? And for the first time ever, I have to tell one of my children that I lost my job. I've never been fired or dismissed from a job ever in my life of 40 years of employment. I've always moved from one position to the other at my choosing. It's personally devastating to me, but a friend helped me get through it, and that's totally a different story. But I had to tell my son that. But I got to tell him in that next moment, it's like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I know God will provide somehow. I don't know how, but he will. Mitchell has no clue of what's coming. He has no idea of the, amount, the enormity of what is happening right now. He just knows dad's home from work on Saturday. That same afternoon, the mail comes in. And it's looking like another bill from the hospital. I say that because you might know what's coming. So Emily opens it up and we look at it because we're, we're waiting for the results of the payment plan. What are they going to do? How can we work this out? So she opens it up and we start looking at it. We see this really large six-digit figure up here. And then we see a little small number down here off to the side that says like $750. And we're like, okay, $750 a month. This is what I have to take care of. This is what I have to take care of to make sure. So now I know that I'm, now I've got to turn my eyes. This is the money I need to go out and get. Am I right, JP? I got to go out and get this above and beyond what it is that I have to do to provide for the family. This is how I operate. Tell me what it is I need to accomplish and I will go do it. But no, that wasn't it. That $750 down at the bottom was final payment. <laughs> How do you get rid of $130,000 of debt? Where does it go? How? God takes care of it. That's why. When you choose not to rely on some system within this world that can provide for you, and you say, rather, I'm going to trust in God. I don't know how that's going to look. But you know that it's the right choice, and so you do it. And then you have to put up, and then you have to wait, and you have to wait for the unknown. And then God shows up, and he provides, and he cleared that debt. He cleared all of it. To this day, I think that even through all of that surgery, we might have paid less than five grand out of all that. 
God is amazing and he shows up in our times of need. When we choose to follow him, we miss those opportunities when we choose the world to provide our needs. That doesn't mean that God doesn't use world's resources because somebody put up that money. It didn't just miraculously occur. Somebody behind the magical medical curtains of administration made that go away for their own purposes that I don't know. We never heard another word of it. We gladly wrote that last check for $750, said thank you, Lord, and we moved on with our lives. God provides. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Johnny. All right, now please welcome our next storyteller, Eugenia. Hello, my name is Eugenia, and um, I have two girls, Savannah, who is five, and Olivia, who is three. Um, my story is where I had to trust and really believe in God. Um, last January of 2015, uh, my then husband came to me and said, he was gay and he had feelings for a man and he was leaving me for that person. Um, at that moment, I didn't know what to think or what to say or how I would be okay or how my girls would be okay. I just didn't know what to do. Um, many times throughout the, those months, I just, um, I couldn't get out of bed at times and I just didn't know how we would survive or how we I, I would function. One day, Savannah came to me, and I was in bed, and she was like, Mom, get up. Mom, get up. You know, we're hungry. You know, please get up. And I was like, yeah, in a little bit. And she was like, no, we need you now. And at that moment that we need you um, really hit me because just as they needed me desperately, that's how desperately um, I needed God. And I needed him to help me and to reassure me that everything would be okay and that somehow we would walk this through. Um, my leap of faith really came this year in February. We had been staying at my parents' house and um, I just said it's time for the girls and I to move out and to just be on our own. And I didn't know how that would be possible. I, I had been a stay-at-home mom um, raising the girls and there was just no need for me to work. So I just, I didn't know how I would provide and how finances would come in, but God was with us and he, he was so faithful that he took care of every single little detail that I didn't even imagine. Um, I know that it was God who was with me and my girls and I put my trust and my faith in him knowing that somehow we would be okay. And many of you who sit here walked through this with me and um, helped me and encouraged me. And because of that, I f um, that sense of family and community, I was able to walk this journey. It's not easy. I'm still going through it every single day. I, I choose to trust in God and I choose to believe. And I know that he is with me and with my girls. And he, he will, he's faithful and he'll never fail fail me. And I'm just glad that I have been able to come through, come along, and just really to trust in God. Thank you. It's beautiful. Thank you. All right, please welcome our final storyteller of the day, uh, Jody McDonald. Jody, come on out. <laughs> 
my wife abandoned me for this service, so all you get is me. Um, this is a story about how we uh, thought about leaving one chapel. And spoiler alert, we're still here. <laughs> so this happened in November of 2014. I was laid up in bed. I just had ankle surgery. I was laid up for several weeks. And um, that was preceded by us losing three grandparents in the course of uh, six weeks, a few months before. And earlier in the year, we, um, our daughter was diagnosed with autism, so we were, you know, kind of figuring out how that was going to affect our family and affect, you know, her and us for the rest of our lives. So there was just, it was a very hard year, and it just seemed like there was one thing after another that was just being piled on and piled on. So, you know, we, we kept asking this question of, like, why is this happening to me? Why is God putting all of these things on us? you know, just laying it on, and, um, you know, as we're just still spiraling down, um, we were frustrated um, and really felt powerless about it, and we thought since we had been at one chapel since the very beginning of, you know, the interest meetings way back when in the Marriott, that, that we would have this built-in support structure automatically, right, so we, you know, we've come to church, we've served, we've gone to small groups, and, uh, you know, done church, right? And, you know, when it came to, down to this time with us, there wasn't that support there that, that we needed and we frankly just expected. Um, so, again, we felt powerless, alone, almost felt like the church had left us to fend for ourselves, right? So, and it made me kind of angry. It made us both kind of angry. So, we were laying there or I was laying there, she was sitting there because I couldn't, couldn't walk. But so, you know, we asked that question, you know, why is this happening to us? And I just said, do you want to try to find another church? And she was like, whoa, whoa, you know. And we both felt at that moment that that would be like abandoning our family. Um, so at that moment, we decided that we would stay, even though we had all these feelings about our church at that moment that were not so fuzzy. Um, but we really felt that, God put us here for a reason, and we had to have faith that we would see this through, that we would, you know, put faith in our church and not rely on what we were feeling. So, um, and the, the reason that we, we learned a couple of things in the, those few months is, first of all, we were so overwhelmed that we weren't able to articulate what we needed, um, and people we're not able to perceive what we needed because our relationships weren't deep enough. So, um, you know, we had people saying, you know, I'll pray for you, which I believe that they genuinely did. And, you know, people saying, call me if you need anything and, you know, I'll check in on you. And, and that really didn't happen because those relationships weren't at the level that they needed to be to really, um, for, for that follow-up to happen. So that was in November. In January, Carrie started a a small group for women up in Cedar Park. We live way up in the northern tundra of Cedar Park. So there was nothing up there. It's like a barren wasteland of no groups, right? So <laughs> Carrie started this group. Yeah, I said in the last service, when you came up to our, Ross came up to our house the first time, he thought Cedar Park was a neighborhood, not an actual city. But that was a long time ago. But anyway, so sorry. So she started this group, but the premise was really basic because 
she was finishing her dissertation. We were juggling our daughter's therapy schedules and all this. So there, frankly, wasn't time for her to prepare for a group. So she decided, we're just going to do the one-year Bible. Whatever the, the readings are for that day, that's what we're going to study. And it worked great. Several women showed up, and they wanted the same thing. They wanted deeper relationships. They wanted to you know, find people around them um, that that they could get to know and build relationships with and grow together in God. And that group had lasted like a year and a half or two years without any breaks. So they were very loyal in getting together even between our, our breaks and um, one chapel small group seasons. Um, I also, this past, uh, I was a little slower on the uptake, this past summer, just a few months ago, started a uh, supper for six with a few of the guys that are husbands with, um, you know, with the ladies in that group. You know, we'd hung out as families and as couples and things before, but we'd never hung out with the guys just as men to get to know each other um, on a regular basis. So that was a really, a really good thing to do. So here we are, two years later, we are learning to build deeper relationships. And these people that that are in our lives now, we celebrate holidays with them. If there's emergency babysitting that we need, you know, we're there for each other. They will, we just sold our house. They would show up at our house to plant flower beds or paint our house, right? They know where everything is in our kitchen. Of course, we just moved, so they're gonna have to learn again. But the, you know, our, our daughter knows them by name and it gets excited when, when they come over. So, you know, these, these are the types of relationships that we, that we need as a church. And we realized it's not enough to just do church, to go to church, to, to tithe, to serve, to, um, to be in a small group. These are all things that we need to do, God wants us to do, and we wouldn't function as a church without that. But we have to have those deeper relationships in order to, to really get all that God has for us. And I think that, you know, through this, I'm learning that I learn more about God through my relationships with other people because I, you know, I have that to bounce off of, right? And and getting those deep relationships is, um, you know, is is really what I'm realizing our church is all about. So when you're when you get frustrated um, or you're angry with people in the church, people are human. They're going to disappoint you, whether you're really close to them or whether they're just an acquaintance. They're going to disappoint you, and they may hurt you, and that's okay. But we have to make sure that we can reconcile that, that we give them a chance to know that, that they hurt you because they may not have any, any idea. So, you know, give, give God a chance to heal your family rather than just leaving to escape the hurt, you know. And that's where it is. Thank you, Jody. Uh, Band, you can go ahead and come on up here. We're going to close out with communion now. And uh, I think a couple big ideas from this morning as we close this morning and uh, come to the table together. One is a lot of times our circumstances like we talked about, and those circumstances that you heard in some of the stories, those aren't just simple little storms. Those are real and life-altering and feel so difficult. But even in the midst of those, God is there. And a lot of times in those circumstances and things that are going wrong, what happens is as a church, we go and we put on kind of the happy church mask. And so we're like, hey, how you doing? We're like blessed and highly favored, doing good, brother. And inside we're dying. Inside we're really struggling.
And so as we come to the table this morning, I want uh, two things for you to think about and pray about. One is I want you to think about if there are circumstances that have felt so great and so overwhelming that you pray to those and turn to God and say, God, how do I have faith in the midst of these circumstances? And the second thing is this, if there are things in your life where you've just like, I can't share that. This is tricky, this is vulnerable, this is risky for us as a church to have and people tell these raw, honest stories. But we do that to model what we all want to be doing, which is not just putting the mask on and say, hey, I'm great, but say, you know what? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. How are you doing? You know what? I lost my job this week. You know what? My son hasn't come to church for a long time and I don't know if he's ever coming back. You know what? I'm afraid right now. I went to the doctor and they gave me some real, real news. These are the type of conversations, if we say we're the people of God, if we say that we're community, these are the type of conversations that we have to have together. So we have to be willing to share and we have to be willing to listen. So I want us to pray about those things this morning. How can we trust God in the midst of our circumstance? And how can we break down those walls to share and tell our stories with each other?